Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, July the 21st, 2023. It is currently 1024 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And I cannot speak for your day, but wow, what a day. It has been crazy. It has been busy. We've had to make last-minute last adjustments to try to make everything work. We had two competing events happening at the same time. High school reunion, wedding, okay? The wedding tonight, today was simply the, uh, the rehearsal, the rehearsal mill. So we had the rehearsal and the rehearsal mill, getting, getting ready, the rehearsal, rehearsal dinner, the rehearsal, okay, you get the idea, the rehearsal dinner after the rehearsal. So we had the rehearsal, the rehearsal dinner, and then tomorrow the ceremony. At the same time, we have a high school reunion going on. So we have one car, two people going absolutely different directions. And one, it's like, how are we going to, how are you going to go to the high school reunion, get everything prepared? How are you going to be at the high school reunion when I have to go to the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner and I have to go to the wedding tomorrow? Oh boy, we got one. So we had to rent a car for two days. So we have done that, but it's been absolutely crazy. So uh, tomorrow's going to be a busy day. Hopefully the wedding ceremony will go well. We hope we hope everything will go well with the ceremony. Um, I my my, uh, my I've got my message I think ready. I think my message is ready to go. In fact, I'm going to even question why we have ceremony in my wedding ceremony sermon. That's what I'm going to do because I mean, come on, do you expect my sermon to be just like all? I mean, it's not going to be the same. Now, the 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 difficulty that I have with it is it's only supposed to be ten minutes. Long, so uh, that's going to provide. That's going to present a serious challenge. That's going to present a serious challenge. But, 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 I'm going. To, I'm going to take my iPad and I'm going to turn on the timer and hit start and try to keep my eye on that timer. I'm going to try my best. Now, part of me is not going to want to look at it because I'm, I, you know, trying to have some form of eye contact and, and really just try to present what I think is very significant in 10 minutes. But, you know, we'll, we, we will see. But after everything today, the, the last minute change, let's go rent a car. Then we went to, to try to rent a car. Then it was taking forever. Why is it taking forever? Well, there was one person working. They had like 20 reservations. The, the people who just got a car, just got a car, like 10 minutes after getting a car, they got rear-ended. Boom. So they were in an accident. They were trying to get back to the company saying, hey, what do we do? Or the car just got wrecked. And you had all of this going on, and so it was. It took forever. Finally, got the car. Then, boom! You know, everybody's going different directions, and it's been it's been crazy. So we will see how everything plays out. Hopefully, tomorrow it will go well. But I came home this evening, and I'm like, okay, wow, what a day! What a day! I mean, what else could happen today? I mean, could anything else happen today? I mean. I just need to relax. I need to sit down. And the first thing I see are these words. Did momentous event occur in predestination 
versus free will debate. I'm like, wait, wait. A momentous event occurred in a pre- predestination free will debate. Now, I'm thinking that someone, someone was, they were, two people were debating predestination and free will, and something happened in the debate. It was a momentous event. I started reading the article. It's not just like that, but it's supposedly momentous. So we have to talk about it. And considering how busy today has been, I thought, wait, I missed a momentous event. I need to catch up. I've got to catch up. There, A momentous event occurred in the world of theology and the debate between predestination and free will. I mean, come on, we've been debating this stuff for a very long time in church history. If something momentous has happened, I got to get caught up immediately because I'm going to be busy all day tomorrow. Sunday is going to be Jeremiah for three hours. Okay, okay, we've got to get to the momentous debate. But before we do, before we do, can we have a serious talk for a minute? Can we have a serious talk? I don't care if it's predestination, free will debate. I don't care baptizing babies, not baptizing babies debate. I don't care if it's sprinkling versus immersion. I don't care if it's open communion, closed communion, close communion. I don't care what the eternal security of the believer. No, you can lose your salvation. I don't care what the theological debate is. Can we all agree that if the theological debate only results in bringing the worst out of people, then maybe the theological debate really isn't that important until we can fix ourselves, right? If the theological debate brings forth pride and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and division and strife and hatred and brings out really hurtful and harmful words. You know what? What difference if we get the, what difference if we get the theology right? If we can't even conduct ourselves, I don't know, in a, in a reasonably decent way. I mean, of what value is anything in Christianity if all that happens is we get a little bit more knowledge, we can answer a couple of more answers. We, we, we have a get a little bit more knowledge, we can answer some more questions. We can, we can answer some answers. We can answer some questions. I told you it's been a long day. Okay. We can answer some questions. We are smarter than anyone else, but all we are are arrogant, condescending jerks. What, what, what difference does anything in Christianity make if we're, if we're not Loving, compassionate, turn the other cheek, forgiving. What if all we are is just, I don't know, it just brings out everything wrong inside of us. Now, we talked about it this week. If I can find the passage of scripture, I read it a number of times this week as we were reviewing sermons um, yeah, here it is. Ephesians chapter four, as we were reading or not reading sermons, as we were reviewing sermons for the 2023 uh, sword national or the national sword conference. Wow. Been a long day. Um, when we, we talked about that, there were some things said in the conference that really bothered me. And, and, and it really raises this question. Look, Hey, you may not agree with this theology. You may not agree with this, but when we deal with it, when we talk about it, yes, we can be blunt. Yes, we can be direct. Yes, sometimes we have to condemn. Yes, I even understand sometimes there has to be disagreement. But if all we get from anything Christian is 
these wrong attitudes and actions and words. What's the point? Maybe should we just call the whole thing off and just say, forget everything, right? Who cares if we get a theology right, if we're just basically mean, rude, nasty, just what is the point? Because we saw a little bit of that at the 2023 National Sword Conference. Just acting like children on a playground instead of really acting like anything spiritual or godly. So remember, I, I said this. I, I, I didn't see, say this. I read this. Ephesians 4 verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Hey, when we're dealing with doctrinal issues, are, are we... Are we Speaking that which is good, that which is edifying, that which will minister grace unto the hearers. Now, look, I, I'm not sitting here or even pretending that I sit here with clean hands, right? I've, I've made many mistakes in how I have dealt with doctrinal issues and disputes in my own life and preaching and teaching. And, and, and sometimes what comes out is you, you would have to call it corrupt communication, meaning I may not be utter, uttering any explicitive words, but it's just not build, it's not, it's just detrimental in every way, shape, or form. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Now, we always talk about grieving the Holy Spirit, but this grieving of the Holy Spirit seems to be connected with us letting corrupt communication that doesn't build up, that doesn't minister. Now, I understand. By no means am I saying throw in the towel on any theological debate. I'm just saying there's got to be a way what we can communicate in a way that still demonstrates some form of godliness and, and righteousness in some way, shape, or form. I mean, shouldn't we at least try to some level? Look look at the—if you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, there seems to be kind of a connection here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. When you speak, is it bitter? Is it wrathful? Is it anger? Is it clamor? Is it evil speaking? Is it full of malice? Then if that shows up in our debate over theology, then what, if that shows up in regards to anything related to Christianity, like at some point we, we, we have to say, what's more important? What's more important, right? Destroying one another over a debate or wait, 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 hey, is the word being preached? Is is something positive happening? Sometimes we have to try to support that as much as possible. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Can you truly forgive as God has forgiven you? Now, clearly we know these are very much law passages, which we know we're going to fall short, but they tell they challenge us on what we are to pursue. And at least in my estimation, when you look at some of the debates that rages in church history, when it comes to predestination and free will, those debates can get ugly, 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 ugly. And I don't know if it's, if it's ever really good. So I think the, the, to hear, I don't know what the momentous event that has occurred. I mean, we got to read the article to really figure out what this momentous event, but whatever the momentous event is, is it going to bring about, is it going to be dealt with? Is it going to be discussed? Is it going to be critiqued? Is it going to be reviewed? Is it going to be debated in a way 
that sounds at least something like Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If Christianity has any positive impact on us in any way, shape, or form, could it impact us in a way where at least we are pursuing Ephesians 4, 29 through 32? I mean, if you're going to have a conference and preach and your preachers demonstrate everything opposite to Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, who cares how right they may be in their doctrine? If you win a theological debate, but you violate all of this and so doing it, who cares if you win the debate? If you walk away thinking you're right in your theology, but you're bad-mouthing and not forgiving and filled with bitterness and wrath, then what What good? Like sometimes it makes you just want to say, look, what, what are we doing? Now, of course, our sinful nature, this, these are going to show up over and over and over and over and over again. Think, thank God for imputed righteousness, right? Thank God that we flee to the cross. This should convict you and cause you to run to Christ. Now, from that, because of his living mercies, then you should be motivated out of gratitude to pursue maybe working on just these things. I would really challenge you because, because we've mentioned it already. Let's really work on Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Let's really work on it. Now, with that said, there's kind of a practical application here. What is the momentous event? What has happened in the never-ending debate on predestination and free will? Are you ready to find out? Here we go. This was published today, Friday, July the 21st, 2023. This is from the Christian Post executive editor, Richard D. Land. He's a Southern Baptist, or at least I know he was at one point. All right, here we go. Even a casual observer of the evangelical American landscape over the past half century would be aware of the consistent, comprehensive, reoccurring, and often, often combative, combative discussions, debates, and conversations about predestination versus free will concerning God's plan and purpose for eternal salvation of human beings. That was a mouthful. Let me see if I can read it again in a little bit more professional way. Even the casual observer of the evangelical American landscape over the past half century would be aware of the consistent, comprehensive, reoccurring, often combative discussions, debates, and conversations about predestination versus free will concerning God's plan and purpose for the eternal salvation of human beings. It would be way too simplistic simplistic, and misleading to outline the debate as being between polar opposites of the Synod of Dort, five-point Reformed Calvinism, and its polar opposite Wesleyan Methodism. 
Now, he said it would be too simplistic and misleading to say that the debate is between these polar opposites. The Synod of Dort, five-point Reformed Calvinism and Wesleyan Methodism. However, in its simplest form, the Synod of Dort formulation, TULIP, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, presents the theological formulation most frequently associated with the 16th century Protestant reformer John Calvin. The opposite of these five points would describe the Wesleyan-Arminian position. All right. Now, you probably know them. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Now, we, we, we have studied at my church the Synod of Dort, the Canons of Dort. You can probably find all of those messages on the Church One app or uh, the Sermons 2.0 app to kind of get a better idea. I don't know if that's a good way to kind of say... Was it the Synod of Dort formulation or was it the remonstrance and they were responding? Okay, we could get into a lot of history right there, but that's okay. Here we go. As one reads or listens to the discussion and debates, it is clear that American evangelicals understand the importance of the questions at issue and significant numbers of evangelical Christians embrace and advocate for both positions as well as for numerous variations between the two opposite poles. Consequently, you have moderate Calvinists and semi-Arminians. And my own Southern Baptist faith tradition, this is the author of the article saying this, not me, I'm not a Southern Baptist. And my own Southern Baptist faith tradition, you have had and do have numerous variations of these two theological formulations, with the exception that confessionally, Southern Baptists have always insisted on the eternal security of the believer or once saved, always saved, their terminology for perseverance of the saints. Personally, I have been quite fond of the great English Victorian Baptist pulpiteer Charles Haddon Spurgeon's terminology for the perseverance of the Savior. I do love that. It's not the perseverance of the saint. It's the perseverance of the Savior because it's the Savior. And the Savior is how we persevere because we are saved by an imputed righteousness and all of our sins have been forgiven. Okay, but I, but I digress. I do like that perseverance of the Savior, but okay, that's okay. Only way I lose my salvation is someone goes to heaven and removes Christ, right? He's my, in a sense, my mercy seat. He's my sacrifice. He's my covering. He's, okay, but I, I digress. Here we go. Let's continue. What, because what we want to get to is the momentous, what momentous event has occurred in this debate? He's giving us the history of the debate. He's giving us maybe some of the differences. He may giving us the wide variety contained within the debate, but what is the momentous event? I don't know. Are you waiting? Are, are you are you on the edge of your seat? Well, tune in tomorrow and I don't oh, know. Okay, I'm, I'm joking. Right, here we go. Such variations of understanding help explain mediating statements like the following in the Baptist faith and message, the Southern Baptist confessional statement. And I quote from it. Election is the gracious purpose of God, according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends all the means and connection with the end. It is the glorious display of God's sovereign goodness and is infinitely wise, holy, and it and is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. Now, please note, it's trying to do a mediating thing. We have election, 
But then we have, it is consistent with the free agency of man. They, they try to say both are true, but they don't try to clarify how, well, which true, which way, which way do you go with this? A lot of people love that. Hey, no, 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 no. God is sovereign. Man is free. God is sovereign. Man has a responsibility. I don't have to explain it. Both are true. Now that, that's, that sounds so good. And I wish it was that simple, but it's not that simple because each thing, when you say both are true, and then you make a claim about one, you got to take it to its logical conclusion. And what people do, I say both of these things are true, but they never really take their, their thinking to its logical conclusion because they would end up in a hermeneutical and theological mess. They just try to say they're both true and never really bother to figure out, wait a minute, if that's, wait, no, no, wait, you just destroyed God's sovereignty. No, you just destroyed man's free will. Like, which is it? And so it, it, becomes, well, what you have to do there is just never dig in very deep. You got to stay on the surface. But what's the momentous event? That's what we're waiting for. Here we go. Theology is words, logos, about God, theos. These particular words deal with issues of critical importance, such as the extent of the atonement of Jesus on the cross, who can be saved, and how much choice does an individual have concerning his eternal destiny. In a larger context, it can be seen as a form of theological determinism versus free will. Can anything happen that God has not freely predestined? Now, these are very important theological questions. These are very important questions in how to understand life, how to understand things that happen, right? Because either God is intimately involved or you so remove God that God just kind of set everything in motion, motion, men are free and God just is allowing it to happen and God is not predetermining it or allowing it to, or not directly involved. Now this get God, gets, gets God somewhat off the hook, but then if God's going to be that far removed, then why are you praying? Because prayer almost always involved God acting on something with or without someone's free will assenting to it, especially when you're praying for other people, like praying for their salvation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You almost want God then to to override their free will. Well, wait a minute. How does that all work together? It raises serious theological questions. But wait, there's more. We still, what's the momentous event? Here we go. Once in a while, as brilliant and devoted people apply themselves with determination and dedication to the issue, a truly exciting, provocative, extremely helpful, and instructive study surfaces, which makes a major contribution to everyone's greater and deeper understanding of the issues under contention and discussion. Now, that paragraph is the transition paragraph, and that's going to transition us to the momentous event. So obviously, someone brilliant has applied themselves with determination and dedication to the issue of predestination versus free will. And something helpful, something truly exciting, something provocative, something extremely helpful has been produced that is momentous. And that is, are you ready? I am delighted to announce 
that such an event has occurred. Dr. Robert, I'm going to spell his last name, P-I-C-I-R-I-L-L-I. Piccarilli, maybe? P-I-C-I-R-I-L-L-I. Again, his name is Dr. Robert Piccarilli. P-I-C-I-R-I-L-L-I. You need to be writing this down, all right? <laughs> Dr. Robert Piccarilli. Piccarelli? Piccarelli. That's what I'm going with. P-I-C-I-R-I-L-L-I. He is a longtime professor of New Testament at Welch College in the Free Will Baptist tradition. He has produced a volume that I will believe will be his magnum opus. All right? All right? There, there will be his magnum opus. Okay, what, what is this magnum opus? Someone just said, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. Yes, that is, um, that is from R.C. Sproul, from the wonderful book, Chosen by God, which I've read so many times. A very good book. Everyone should read it. But this is saying that something momentous has happened. And the momentous thing is a magnum, magnum opus. A magnum opus has been written. All right? And the name of this book is entitled, God in Eternity and Time. God in Eternity and Time, a new case for human freedom. This volume has been very well received by most of its of the participants in the discussion of these issues for its originality and insight. Now, again, the name of the book, God in Eternity and Time, a new case for human freedom. Now, something supposedly this is a momentous event. Supposedly, obviously, it's written by someone. It's a, it's making an argument, it, it, it seems, for, well, it's a new case for human freedom. So it's going to go with the free will Baptist tradition. And that people, that it's receiving lots of praise because of its originality and insight. Now, I am, I am, I am very intrigued. I can't say blown away yet. I am intrigued to see what is the originality? What has he found? What what did he find that's new under the sun? He's got some original take on this. Does he got an original? I, I like what did he figure it all out? This is his magnum opus. What is it? I don't know. I'm I'm curious. I mean, look, I've been busy all day. I haven't had a chance, but I definitely want to know. I 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 want to know. Um, but at the same time, now I'm just going to be honest. I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little hesitant because this debate has raged on for so long. And to me, it doesn't produce more godliness. It produces more anger and name calling and division. Now, sometimes we got to fight over theological issues. I understand that. 
But sometimes when I, I have felt that the debate over some of these issues is no one will stop and go, wait, 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 wait. Let's consider a few things here. Like whether you believe in free will, whether you believe in election, how is a person saved? By believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? Okay, well, then we agree. The disagreement is you believe they believed because they believed. Well, I believe they believed because God gave them faith, right? So we're, we differ there, but we do know that the people who are saved are people who put their faith in Christ. Now, do you believe they can lose their salvation? Now, that one becomes a little bit more problematic because if you believe they can lose their salvation, well, now this becomes very much a salvation by works. That's where I think then we can start having some serious fights. If you, even if you start arguing over a supposed quote unquote limited atonement, all right, you can believe God died for everyone, but the effect of the atonement is limited to only those who believe. I can say Christ only died for those whom he elected, and then it's limited in its intent. Either way, both sides limits the atonement. And guess what? Anyone who believes their sins have been atoned for. So, there you go. Like, like in some cases, when you really get down to it, you're like, well, what are we really debating here? Like some of the things it, it, I think we, we, people get too upset about, but there was, I think there's some things you have to draw a line and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Now we got a problem, especially anything that leads you to a salvation that's workspace, that's kept by works, gained by works, anything, then that, then there's a problem because now you're destroying the gospel of grace and you're turning it into a gospel of works. Then you destroy everything. So I, I, I want to read the book, but there's a part of me that's just going to be like, oh boy, here we go again. Because I, I went through so much of this. You got to remember how my, my I don't want to just turn, I mean, I've talked about this with the SWORD conference. I don't want to turn it all into my own personal story, but it's a story I know. You know, I'm, I'm attending an independent fundamental Baptist church. I'm in the Bible Institute. I am studying. I'm learning. I'm going to school. I'm, I'm, I'm enrolled in another school. I'm enrolled in multiple schools. I'm trying to get as much education I can. And I start, you know, coming into contact with obviously things about the doctrine of election and predestination. So it's my daughter's, I think, first birthday. There's video of it somewhere. First birthday, maybe second birthday, maybe first. I don't know. It was a birthday party. While everybody was doing their thing, if you look in the video, you can see in the living room, there I am with a bunch of men from the church because their wives were there with their kids for Becca's birthday. And you can see me. I got books everywhere. And I'm talking to the men like, oh, what about this? And what about that? And I'm just excited because I'm learning, right? I just like, hey, I'm going to tell them, hey, what do you think about election? And what do you think about predestination? They're just like, you know, you can tell that they don't really have any good answers, but they're just like, okay, party ends. And I'm like, wow, that was fun. I got to talk doctrine. I got to talk, talk theology. That was a good time having Christian people to talk to these things about. Yeah. What a, yeah. What an idiot. What an idiot. What an idiot. Because it was just a little while on, but the phone rang. That's not, that's not a very good sound effect. Right. Okay. Right. It's back in the day of landlines. Okay. Okay. And I pick it up. Hello. Yes. Uh, this is pastor. Yeah. Uh, you need to come up to the church office. We we need to talk. Can you tell me what it's about? No, you just you should just come up here. Just a few things to work out. Okay. So go to the church. Walk in. Walk into the pastor's office. As soon as I went into the pastor's office, there's the men who was at the birthday party. 
And I knew something wasn't right. And it begins to unfold and unravel right then because I'm accused of being a Calvinist. And at this point, you couldn't even accuse me. I, could, I would not even have classified myself as a Calvinist. I was just asking questions and studying. And part of the reasons I was asking questions is that independent fundamental Baptist church every month put at the front sermons by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. <laughs> I collect, I took the booklet every month and read every page and outlined and have, guess what? Though they, there was sermon after sermon on election, on Calvinism, on predestination, on like, because Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a quote unquote Calvinist. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So they, they start accusing me and then immediately they start saying things. I'm like, that's not, that's not an accurate description of Calvinism. No, no, no. That's not what Calvin. So I start defending Calvinism, even though I'm not a Calvinist, but because I start defending it, then I'm accused even more so of being a, and I'm like, what are you doing? And then I'm like, you're the one who gave me the sermons. You gave me the sermons. You put, no, I can't help it that nobody else in the church bothered to read them, but I read them. I have them all marked up. And it, well, Spurgeon's not a Calvinist. What are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? Did you not read the sermons you were handing everyone? And so then, well, I was, I was kicked out of the Bible Institute. I lost all ministerial opportunities. And then finally I was able to come back because I had to agree to one statement that they thought somehow disproved Calvinism. It didn't disprove anything. So I, I, it was a whole mess. But so I just know how ugly these debates can be. And it was just, I mean, it was deceptive the way that went down. Those men could have said, hey, man, you know, you can't pursue that and be a part of this church, right? Like they could have just, no, stabbed me in the back, anger, bitter. It's just all, all trash the way it all went down. But so guess what? Who cares if you're not a Calvinist, if you're going to conduct yourself in such a deceitful, underhanded, backstabbing way, and then you're going to sit there and completely misrepresent bearing false witness and slandering what Calvinists actually believe. And then when someone tries to simply correct the record, then they get kicked out of everything. Like the whole thing was total train wreck of epic proportions. See, if the debate makes us worse off, if the debate makes us worse off, then that's not good. Now, to be fair, as time moved on, I didn't conduct myself very good, right? I became a little more arrogant, a little, and, 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 there, and I've, I've talked about it so many times, I've made so many mistakes in my Christian. Once again, the study of Calvinism was not making me better, was not making me more godly, was not making me more righteous, was not leading me to say, hey, 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 this is not about me. I, we need to be focused on this church. We should be focused on, like, I got to stop making it about me, but I made it too much about me. I wasn't dying to self, denying self. I was exalting myself, getting myself in the middle of it, being an absolute jerk. And then, of course, not every, everything went horribly, horribly wrong. Nothing good, not, look, nothing good came from their fighting against Calvinism. And, and in many cases, nothing good came from my pursuing of Calvinism because we both conducted ourselves in many cases in fleshly sinful ways. Instead of focusing on dying to self, denying self, not exalting self, and doing the things we talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. Who cares how right you are if you're so wrong? But the name of the book is God in eternity and time, a new case for human freedom 
Now, I have not looked up the book yet. I do not know how many pages there are. I will have to look. In fact, let me know what. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. God in eternity and time. A new case for human freedom. Let's just grab it. Let's go to Amazon. It only takes about one second. All right. There's Coast to Coast AM. That's not going to help me. Okay. All right. Here we, here we go. All right. Um, here we go. God and Eternity and Time, A New Case for Human Freedom. It's $14.39 on Kindle, $29.99 paperback, and it's 240 pages. It's got four-star ratings right now, or 3.8. Is that one? Well, it looks like four. Four-star ratings. That looks like it to me. Um, maybe the average. And uh, yeah, the there's some review here. And there are, oh, wow, somebody ripped it apart right from, okay. Wow. Woo, okay, here we go. I'm just going to read this first review. Uh, This book contains nothing that cannot be found in other literature. His chapter on open theism was shockingly lackluster for something subtitled A As New. He assumes divine timelessness, assumes divine immutability, assumes about the doctrine of analogy, offers some kind of human knowledge of God without engaging a single piece of literature within the last 10 years on any of these three important topics. All right, so this book doesn't believe it's a magnum opus. They don't believe it's momentous. They just ripped it to shreds, all right? They, they do. But let's go back to the article because this is what they say. Dr. Piccarelli, that's the way I'm going to say his name, has applied a lifetime of biblical scholarship to the issues involved and produce a book that makes compelling reading for anyone in- interested in true biblical theology. Piccarelli argues that to, co- that to construct a truly biblical theology, one should start with the Bible itself as the best evidence of God's plan, believing that it is better to infer what God has decreed in eternity from the Bible's account of how God acted in the history of man and the cosmos, rather than starting with the classical decrees and imposing them on biblical revelation. Now, that's okay. All right. Now, that's an interesting paragraph. That that Now, the review over there rips it to shreds, but this paragraph is intriguing. Let me say that again. So, this book argues that to construct a true biblical theology— One should start with the Bible itself as the best evidence of God's plan, believing that it is better to infer what God has decreed in eternity from the Bible's account of how God acted in the history of man and the cosmos, rather than starting with the classical decrees and imposing them on biblical revelation. So in other words, they say some people start with God has decreed everything that comes to pass and then imposes that presupposition on all of scripture. And he says, don't do that. Start really with the Bible as the best evidence of God's plan. And then it's better to infer what God has decreed. So in other words, don't start that God has decreed it. Look at the Bible and then see what God has decreed from eternity or infer what God has decreed from the Bible's account on how God responded in history. So in other words, look at look at what, how God responded in history, then you can infer what he decreed. Oh, that's an interesting, I think there could be some problems there. Because they're saying if God acted in a certain way, well, then clearly he didn't decree it. Well, then you're going to slowly but surely say God didn't decree anything. 
well, then God wouldn't be in charge. That's I, I'm very interested in that being fleshed out, but it seems like it could be possibly problematic. The, this article goes on to say, the scripture first approach has produced powerful and important insights into such thorny issues as God's will, human freedom, and divine knowledge. Now he's saying the scripture first ap- approach has produced powerful and important insights. I, I would like to maybe hear them, maybe. Maybe. All right. They go on to say, I cannot recommend this book more highly than I do now. It is quite simply the best book on the subject I have ever read. Wow, that's serious. Now, you can go to the ChristianPost.com and find this article. I did not read the whole thing. Uh, You can go read the rest for yourself and draw your conclusions. Now, if we go down... is immediately you've got the comments. All right. And, uh, well, you can start reading the comments if you would like. I won't read them now. All right. But, uh, well, you, you can just read the comments and see how people respond or how they react. And you can ask yourself, is this a good thing or a bad thing? But I want the challenge to be this. I, I challenge you to get the book. Now, if you're not very familiar with this debate, I don't know how this book's going to possibly impact. It could possibly cause you lots of difficulties and struggles. By all means, if you want those struggles, by all means, jump in. You know, I'm not afraid of those struggles. I'm going to, I've got plenty of other things to work on right now, but at some point I'm going to try to work my way to it. I've got, I got other books to, to, to uh, a listener sent me a very, an awesome gift. God granted. Daily Devotions from CFW Walther. Um, I got this in the mail the other day. Someone sent this to me and it's absolutely like, wow, 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 wow. It's awesome. I can't wait to dig into it. Um, It's based around the church here. So yeah, well, we're going to do a whole podcast about this book. So I'm going to obviously be working on that. Um, I've also got uh, two other books over here on on things we need to work on. So, but I want to get to it. I just... But my fear is this, and, and I just want to really end with this. When it comes to Christi- anything in Christianity, right? I mean, we watched a conference, the 2023 National Sword Conference. Someone's already emailed me to, to, do a re- uh, to follow the conference, the Southwestern Believers Conference, which I think is all charismatic. Okay, so, you know, they're trying to kill me. All right, so, but if we, if we review these conferences, the thing is, whether we agree or disagree, and there's a time to say you disagree, and there's a time to call out your disagreement, but somehow things associated with Christianity should do something positive for us, right? Something positive should come from. So that's what I'm trying to do with the Sword Conference, right? Like even this morning for the Theology Central, what did I do? I tried to take something from it. And then I'm going to try to go through every sermon that was preached at the conference and find the main text and do something with the text. Try to find something positive in it. I, I, may, I may disagree with a lot that they did. I, may, I, I was really bothered by some of it. Some of it was the, the perfect example, the political hijacking of the American church, which I'm constantly condemning. But at the same time, remember how Paul said, hey, some of these people are preaching for the wrong reasons and the wrong motives. Some of these people may be preaching simply to hurt me. But you know what? I'm going to rejoice and be happy if God's word is being preached. So if God's word is being preached and there's some truth being preached, 
Sometimes I got to set aside my own personal feelings for the good that could come from it. And so that's, that's, I'm going to try to do that. At the same time, though, you got to, it's trying to find that balance. I got no problem debating, quote unquote, Calvinism and free will. I got no problem having that debate. I just know that sometimes you can go, all you can do is go from one theological debate to another theological debate to another theological debate. All you do is go from this discernment ministry, this discernment ministry, you call this out, this person, you call out this person, you call out this person, and everyone is wrong and you condemn everyone, but you're no better off, you're no more godly than you were when you started calling everyone out. And I know that that's one of the things I try to stay away from, I try. A tribe, because sometimes people like, you know, wow, you really did a good job on calling. You should call this out. You should call this out and you should call this out and you should do this and you should do. And I'm like, and all my ministry will be is me calling everyone out. Well, what's going to be the fruit of that? I guarantee it's going to become spiritual pride and arrogance and a condemning spirit. Finding that balance in your Christian life. It's one thing. Look, who cares how right your theology is if we're wrong every other way? And I'm wrong a million other ways. So I don't know how momentous this book is. I don't know how new and dramatic and provocative. We got the first review on Amazon is like, there's nothing new here. We got Christian posts like, this is the magnum opus. It's momentous. This is provocative. This is new. This is, and so I don't know. That's strong, different opinions on it. I don't think it can be that. I mean, come on. What new thing can be said in regards to this debate? I don't know. I'm willing to listen. But I just don't want to get back into it. Remember when the young, restless, and reformed movement was taking over the country and there was all these young, restless, reformed people? And then kind of what happened to that movement? What happened to it? Right doctrine, so important. Right theology, so important. But the pursuit of right doctrine and the pursuit of right theology should have some profound impact on our daily living for Christ to some level. And look, I will just be honest with you. A large part of my, part of my Christian life I think I probably focused on being right doctrinally and theologically more than being right in here. Now I know I'll never truly be right in here cuz I need a I need a I need a complete removal of the old nature. So, check out the book. If you read it, let me know. If you have thoughts on any of this, news if at yahoo.com. News if at yahoo.com. Woo, I am wiped out. It's been a long day, but I wanted to do something. I felt I felt responsibility to do something today. So there you have something. And I tried to make it practical, tried to make it informative. Only you can tell me if it was beneficial. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. Have a great day tomorrow. Don't know if you'll hear from me tomorrow. 
Hopefully Sunday morning at 10 a.m., I'll be ready to say something about Jeremiah chapter 12. And hopefully by the time I leave Victory Baptist Church Sunday night and I get in my car and drive away, maybe we've completed Jeremiah 13. I doubt we'll get to 14, but maybe something significant will happen in our discussion of those chapters. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.